Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Godsplaining. This is one of our special Lexio Sunday Lexio episodes. Um, however, unlike last week's Sunday Lexio episode, this week's is at least clear because today the Universal Church celebrates on Sunday the same feast, which is the great feast of the Holy Spirit, the feast of Pentecost. Uh, I'm your host today, Father Patrick Mary Briscoe. I am joined by the great Dominican fathers, Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. <laughs> the Director of Vocations of the Province of St. Joseph, and Father Gregory Maria Pine, Thomas DeBarge. What does he do? What, does Thomas he do DeBarge. anything for us? Traveling Thomism salesman. <laughs> I'll take Hello, that. fathers. I'm not against that. Hi. Did you say hi to me? What? No. I said oh, hello, I fathers. You... Oh, well, I'm a father, so yeah, you said hi to me. Hello. I guess it's I great to be here on Pentecost Sunday. As Father Patrick has said, we are very clear about the day of this feast day, so we're all together this time. It's nice. That's right. It's a nice feast to follow Ascension Thursday, I would say, and the seventh Sunday of Easter. There you have it. Well, I vote let's dive right in. There's a lot to say about these readings, so I I will pray us in. O God, who by the mystery of today's great feast... Sanctify your whole church in every people and nation. Pour out, we pray, the gifts of the Holy Spirit across the face of the earth. And with the divine grace that was at work when the gospel was first proclaimed, fill now once more the hearts of believers. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. All right, so we turn now to the first reading. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. When the time for Pentecost was fulfilled, they were all in one place together, and suddenly there came from the sky a noise like a strong driving wind, and it filled the entire house in which they were. Then there appeared to them tongues as of fire, which parted and came to rest on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them to proclaim. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven staying in Jerusalem. At this sound they gathered in a large crowd, but they were confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded, and in amazement they asked, Are not these people who are speaking Galileans? Then how does each of us hear them in his native language? We are Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, inhabitants of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya near Cyrene, as well as travelers from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, yet we hear them speaking in our own tongues of the mighty acts of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, well done on all of those different place names there, Father Patrick. Well, we made it through. I was brought yeah. back. Uh, yeah, that was excellent. I was I was brought back to an episode of Celebrity Jeopardy. You know, when the question was asked, you know, name this continent, 
with a voice prompt that said Asia. Um, so, so kudos, well done. Asia and Phrygia, that's just, that's just a tough back-to-back. A lot of mouth movement. Um, so rather than commenting on the different places uh, from which uh, languages were heard, I thought that we could just meditate a little bit upon uh, the tongues of fire. Why? Well, because uh, it's a way in which the Holy Spirit makes himself present uh, where, where or after the manner in which he was not formally. You're like, okay, that's about the most confusing way you could say that sentence. Congratulations, I succeeded in being myself. Um, so, so what exactly is taking place here? Because the Holy Spirit is already present. So he's God, so he's present insofar as he's giving being, he's giving agency, all things are transparent to his gaze. He's also already present in them by the life of grace. So then what does uh, what do these tongues of flame signify? Are they, I don't know, like adding to that in some way? Was there something absent which is now made here? When St. Thomas talks about this, he talks about it in terms of the visible missions of the persons of the Most Blessed Trinity. And he says that, right, we can meditate on the fact that from all eternity, God, uh, the Father, begets the Son, and the Father and the Son breathe forth the Holy Spirit. But these Trinitarian processions, these eternal Trinitarian processions, are, as it were, the pattern on which the persons of the Son and the Holy Spirit are sent into the world. Uh, and that's that sent uh, is where we get the understanding of of a mission. So uh, the Son is sent visibly in the incarnation, and the Holy Spirit is sent. Um, he's sent visibly in a variety of ways. So Saint Thomas says, "There's the baptism of the Lord, where He descends as a dove. There's the transfiguration, where He is present in the cloud, enveloping the mountain and our Lord. He's present in the upper room in John 20, uh, from which we will hear shortly. And then He's present in Acts 2 in the descent." Uh, of the tongues of fire. And he says, basically what a mission is, is that God is made present in a way where he was not formally. All right, now, made present, are we talking here like contained in a place, the way that I'm in Philadelphia and Father Patrick is in Providence, Father Jacob Bertrand is in D.C.? No, because God doesn't have a body, but present in the sense of exercising his influence or exercising his power. And here, what we see or what we what we gather from the scriptures is the Holy Spirit exercising his power, his authority, his grace-giving capacity in sovereign fashion at Pentecost. Uh, it kind of brims over the Godhead. It brims over into the life of the church, um, and it spills over the lips of the apostles as they speak in many tongues and are heard by each of their auditors in his or her own language. So God is present in all places and all times, but he is especially present in certain ways. He's present in me. He's present in this bandsaw. Um, he's present in the Eucharist, right? So he's, he's present in the sacraments. But, but there are certain places where we see him especially so. And some of those he marks by a sign. He marks by some visible element. And that's what we have here on Pentecost. And I will now mute my microphone. <laughs> well, I think that it's great that all of our listeners just earned three credits in Trinitarian theology for listening to them. <laughs> <about> the <Gregory. laughs> And if they pass the quiz, they get an A, and we'll send them. We'll send their transcript out from the House of Studies. <laughs> I'd say more. Oh, okay, but me. um, I might be joined by a bandsaw, and also I feel like I'd incur further. <laughs> we couldn't hear around. you over the saw, so. No, uh, one of one of the one of the incredible points about this um, is uh, it, it, that the scriptures make here helps us uh, engage with uh, a very dangerous uh, and frankly common contemporary idea, which is that um, there are there that there is only one culture that is suitable for Christianity. So 
Um, why is this so dangerous? Because that people claim that in order to in order to be diverse, they have to be something other than Christian. In order to have a kind of maximal flourishing of human goods, there have to be other things present than Christianity. Um, and uh, this is just not the case. The, the gospel, the teachings of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, are the richest revelations of the mysteries of God and of the human person. And every culture will be brought to the fullness of its identity through Christianity. The gospel doesn't mute cultures. It doesn't take away from traditions. It doesn't harm them. Rather, it purifies them and brings them to their deepest meanings, allows them to shine forth in their greatest brilliance. Um, so uh, we see that right here in the scriptures, because from the very beginning, from that first preaching, people of all nations, people from all over the world, were able to hear and understand and believe. The 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 upper room at Pentecost, uh, with the the tongues of fire and the different languages being spoken and the preaching and the conversions that ensued afterwards, um, must have been a pretty pretty incredible reality to witness or be part of or whatever. And and as as we consider what it is that happened, or as we meditate on on these verses from Scripture on Pentecost Sunday, um, we also have to remember that that this is uh, that Pentecost was no accidental reality and that Pentecost was not something for which the the apostles were unprepared um, it may have been surprising and different and often you know the way in which our Lord's providence works we don't know how it'll work in all of its um, finer points but our Lord had promised the Holy Spirit um, throughout his time with the apostles throughout his earthly missions he spoke about the spirit um, in all of the gospels he promised the spirit he promised the spirit of truth after his rising from the dead and here is the spirit 50 days after christ's resurrection 10 days past his ascension and the scriptures teach us that that the that the spirit um, that the descent of the holy spirit it, it illuminated it gave the, uh, the the apostles their minds their ability to preach the gospels it gave them um, fortitude and courage to go out and preach the gospels and witness to the truth and it gave them um, charismatic gifts even uh, the preaching in tongues and these things but all of that to preach without fear to be bold witnesses to the gospel, even despite the, you know, but despite their coming persecutions and these sorts of things. It's the same gift and the same spirit that's given to us in virtue of our confirmation. When we receive the Holy Spirit at confirmation, we're given these same gifts to know revelation, to know Christ better, to have the courage to live the faith, and also to have the gifts to preach in our own, uh, in our own living, to preach the gospel. Uh, without fear for repercussions, without fear that we'll be um, that we'll suffer, even if we do suffer, but to have the courage to to suffer well and to suffer for the gospel well, it's um, it's it's a great witness and a beautiful witness that that the apostles uh, that the apostles bear for us with the you know the overpouring of the Holy Spirit into their hearts, minds, souls. Uh, thanks for that, Father Jacob Bertram. Why don't you go ahead and take us now into the second reading? Happily. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different forms of service, but the same Lord. There are different workings, but the same God who produces all of them in everyone. To each individual, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for some benefit, as a body is one, though it has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though many, are one body, 
so also Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free persons, and we were all given to drink of one spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This this uh, is another just great example of how the Spirit calls all, all things, all persons, uh, everything into himself and redirects it to his own end, right? But, but here, rather than the diversity of origin and nation and culture, um, here we have the Holy Spirit taking to himself uh, the diversity of gifts, right? He's saying there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, different things that ought to be done in the name of the church and in the service of the gospel. And uh, the reason it's so important to repeat this to ourselves over and over and over again, that there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, is because of the great temptation to constantly compare ourselves in the spiritual life. Now, we do this regularly um, just by scrolling Instagram. We say, oh, you know, my feed is not as impressive as this person's or my vacation isn't as nice as that person's. Uh, you know, we, we compare our, our lives constantly, but but the same risk is very great um, to compare one's spiritual life and to say, well, I ought to be doing this or that devotion, or I have to be a member of this or that group or movement because someone else is and it's working for them. That That's not true. You, you have to go where the spirit sends you, which means you have to discern uh, your gifts. You have to think seriously about what your gifts are and you have to understand and interpret them rightly and pursue them, cultivate them in um, service of the church. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit allow your particular gifts to be just that, to be your gifts, and uh, don't get caught up in comparing them to the gifts of others. It's interesting to look at the way in which God decides to um, work in our lives in the church. So certainly during Christ's mission on earth from the incarnation until his ascension into heaven, um, there was a very visible a sort of external or exterior um, manifestation of the second person of the Trinity of Christ. Um, but then after his ascension, we we move to this sort of interior working of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is poured forth upon us um, to enlighten us. He's the spirit of truth. He draws us into all truth. He's also our counselor, our paraclete. Um, but often uh, we don't see, I don't know, I've never, so maybe not often, maybe I should say ever, I've never seen tongues of fire descending over a preacher at the house of studies or something, but maybe we're just not up to, up to snuff yet. Who knows? I don't know. Um, but often we don't see the, the manifestation of the Holy spirit in a physical sense, but we do know that the Holy spirit works um, internally, interiorly to lead us back to God. Here, a, a simple example here, we can just think of the gifts of the Holy spirit that united with, with, um, with, with the virtues lead us back to God, conform us to God, and, and and allow us to think and live and act in accord with, with God's divine will for us. Um, the Holy Spirit also accompanies us in this life um, in a sort of hidden but real way uh, through the church itself, through the shepherding of the church through the centuries, through the inspiring the church through the centuries, but also in the sacraments that we receive, in the work of the sacraments, in the work of preaching, and the very things that the apostles did upon receiving the, the Holy Spirit of baptizing, of preaching the truth, of, of witnessing to the faith, of giving their lives for the faith. Um, these, these things are real manifestations of the goodness of the work of the Holy Spirit in our church and in our lives. So this passage here in 1 Corinthians 12 begins with the image of 
the mystical body, right, that we constitute with Christ, uh, one mystical person, head and members. And the spirit, as you know, spoken of as giving gifts to the body or as uh, imparting life to the body. Uh, One analogy that's often used in the history of the church is the spirit is spoken of as the soul of the mystical body because the spirit animates not only uh, our persons, but also our efforts uh, and imparts to us different spiritual gifts. And so too, I think that that helps us in understanding the the insight that Father Patrick drew out. You know, uh, we're not made to admire the gifts of others and be dispirited on account of the fact that we have not been as as blessed as they. Uh, we are meant to occupy our place in the body, not because the body is like some totalitarian conglomerate and we're just cogs in the wheel, but in the sense that like we are animated by the same soul and the soul acts through, you know, the sense of sight or the sense of smell uh, in a different way than it might act through the sense of motion, whether in, you know, hand or foot and things like that. And so St. Paul has this description, namely that the, the foot doesn't begrudge the hand that it cannot walk, nor does the eye begrudge the hand that it cannot feel. Like each is content to be small, uh, to play its part, uh, something that St. Therese of Lisieux understood in a very profound way and practiced in her own life. So for us, it's not so much a matter of, again, comparison or thinking of ourselves as loved better or loved worse by the Lord but rather as giving expression to the divine life within us, giving expression to the animating presence of the most blessed, the most blessed Trinity, but of, of, the, of the Holy Spirit in a peculiar way, uh, so that our gifts might conduce, uh, might lead to the upbuilding of the church. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 12, St. Paul goes on to talk about these different charismatic gifts. So when we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, sometimes we mean the ones that are given in baptism, given to everybody, which occupy a sanctifying place in our lives, those ones being mentioned in the book of the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 11. So that's like wisdom, knowledge, understanding, counsel, piety, fortitude, fear of the Lord. Uh, But then we have all these these charismatic gifts, which are kind of more wild, uh, like the gift of tongues, or the gift of the interpretation of tongues, or the gift of discernment of spirits, or prophecy, or word of wisdom, word of knowledge, mighty deeds, things like that. Like, what's what's this for? And St. Paul says it's for the upbuilding of the church, right? So it's for uh, the, the growth of the members, right? So that we might be yet more perfectly made, uh, members of the body of Christ, that we may be perfectly, more perfectly assigned to the nations, uh, that we are the one worshiping Christ. Um, so again, it's just, it's just further, further cause, uh, not to compare, uh, because the Lord isn't about a work of bland egalitarianism. He's about the work of building up a mystical body so that all might, uh, might live for the glory of God and many souls might be saved. Well, with that, uh, why don't we go ahead and move on to the gospel? Father Gregory, would you read it for us? Hey, I'd be glad to. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In this short passage from the Gospel of John, uh, our Lord repeats this this um, peace be with you line a number of times. He, uh, in in this great moment of Pentecost, when the uh, 
when the Holy Spirit is descending from heaven, our Lord keeps saying again and again, peace be with you, peace be with you. And I think that in the spiritual life, there's there's a desire for um, for often for peace as a sort of affirmation of um, of having or finding peace as a sign of being able to then pursue something. You know, I, I'm not. We often hear the phrase, or perhaps we use it ourselves. I'm not at peace with that, or you know, I'm trying to be at peace with this or that. So I think it's important to understand what we're actually talking about then when we're when we're talking about peace. Um, peace is as the gospel tells us, is a gift from God. It's something that Christ gives us, and it's a particular gift. And we have to be conscious that it's not always on our terms. Um, we can't always say that, well, I'm totally comfortable and there's nothing else wrong and I'm just I'm just good, so I'm at peace. Well, in fact, if we think about what was happening in the upper room when the when our Lord was uh, when our Lord was revealing himself and giving his peace to the to the disciples, they were probably not all comfortable and happy with everything. And there was probably a good deal of confusion and all of that. But uh, that that's less to say that that uh, what peace is, but more that it's it's not something we fabricate. It's not something we get to, def- to, to define, but something that we receive um, from our Lord. But what is peace particularly? Peace, at least according to our great St. Thomas, um, peace is, is, comes about when, when there are two things. One, when there, there's a union between two people, between the desires of two people, but also um, when there is a union within the person himself. So between the two, there's a union, but also there's a union or a unifying um, within the person himself. It's a reaction to a thing um, that, that we might share with somebody, but also are being united to it. And why is peace a gift then that only God can give us, that only comes from Christ? Well, because it is only Christ who is able to unite us to himself. And this union is necessary for our peace to be drawn into him and to be part of his life and participate in the grace that he's offering. But it's also only Christ who can order those things in our lives that are disordered or sinful or or vicious or you know less than perfect that it's it's Christ gives peace because Christ is the divine healer and it's his life that we are to which we are called and it is in virtue of the Holy Spirit um, acting in our own lives, acting in our souls, acting in and through the church and the bestowal of the sacraments and and the preaching of the gospel that we are led to Christ. Um, So should peace be something we should pursue? Absolutely, of course. But peace is something, remember that that's a gift from God that we receive from him, from his presence, from his divine life in us. At the risk of getting further roasted, <laughs> I'm going to return to the theme of the visible missions. So for those of you watching on YouTube, you can see Father Patrick alternately laugh, cry, roll his eyes, and mutter under his breath. Um, maybe maybe that's the reason for which the uh, my response to the first reading was <laughs> was so bizarre, because it was really half of a response. So thanks be to God, we have the opportunity now for the second half. Um, so I think that just this idea of making the Lord present or having the Lord be made present in a new way, um, and we see it here in the upper room in a peculiar fashion. So we said that with respect to um, uh, the visible missions of the, the, the Holy Spirit, we have him present in the baptism, in the transfiguration, in the upper room in this gospel, uh, and then in Acts 2 at Pentecost. And here, uh, it really makes concrete for us, or it fleshes out this idea of God being made present in a new way. So previously, you know, before the coming of Christ, there were sacraments, there were Old Testament sacraments, but those sacraments didn't give grace in the way that the sacraments of the New Testament do. 
So we speak about sacraments in the in the New Testament sense as efficacious signs, right? So they're they're signs that give what they signify. They give grace. Uh, whereas in the Old Testament, those sacraments didn't have the same power. And here in the upper room, we see the Holy Spirit made present in a new way as the Lord breathes the Spirit on the apostles. And in receiving this Holy Spirit, they are made um, ministers of the sacrament of confession, the sacrament of penance. Now, mind you, like the timeline of how those sacraments are instituted and where we see it in the scriptures is a little bit involved, right? But, but we have this associated here with the binding and loosing of sins. And so the Holy Spirit is made present in this you know, gift of a sacrament, a sacrament which gives grace in a new way, which sanctifies God's people in an especially excellent way, in an especially potent way. Um, and, and as a result of which, it, it reunites God's people to God. You know, those who have wandered away by sin are, are reunited to God in the pardon, uh, the forgiveness given in the sacrament of confession. So this is what we mean to say, you know, God is always present to his creation. He's always causing it to be. He's always giving it to cause. Um, and then he's present by grace already in, in the apostles. But now they're given this, this power right, to forgive sins. And we as a church benefit from that power imparted to the apostles and those whom they have ordained uh, so that we can have a confidence that when we go to the sacrament of confession, we confess our sins, we receive valid absolution that we know we've been forgiven. We know that we've been reconstituted in that relationship. And that gives us certainty uh, that the Lord is near and that wherever the Lord is, there too is the spirit. Um, so that's just one, you know, particular example of a visible mission of the most, uh, the most blessed Trinity, but a, specifically a visible mission of the Holy Spirit, which, which makes us yet more perfectly the body of Christ and weds us yet more perfectly to God. Earlier in St. John's Gospel, the Spirit is identified as the advocate, that is the Spirit of truth, and that it's, that's the Spirit that allows us to see things as they really are. So uh, I think understanding this allows us to believe how it is that the disciples, the apostles, are able to identify Christ as Lord. So he shows them his hands and his side, and they rejoice when they see the Lord because the spirit of truth, the advocate, allows them, the spirit of truth, the advocate, allows them to know that that this man is indeed Christ, that this is the risen Christ, and that he will continue um, to to continue to, to teach and instruct them, um, and that the Holy Spirit... Um, will carry out this work in a new way. Uh, so when the disciples receive this gift of the Holy Spirit, um, they, they are able to do great things, not only just um, recognizing Christ is through, the, through the Spirit, not only are they able to do that, but, but they receive this further mission, as we've been discussing, of, uh, of forgiving sins and retaining sins, uh, that this and the whole preaching of the gospel, the whole em empowerment, the whole use of all the gifts that they've been given is a very great work entrusted to them and that, that it's the spirit of truth that allows them to do this. The, the spirit of truth who allows them to see Christ as he really is and to see themselves as they really are um, and to have a confidence in the work that, that God wants to do in and through them. So I think that's a good place to leave it for this Pentecost Sunday the Sunday after the last Sunday of Easter following Ascension Thursday. Um, Father Jacob Burton, do you have any announcements that you would like to make? Like personal stuff or about the podcast? Well, if I do the announcements wrong, I know that you're just going <laughs> to pounce. Wow. Well, you know, so much for... You have them all charity. written down, don't you? Uh, mentally, mentally, I do. Oh, I so see. I can make the announcements. I'm happy to. Um, let's see. Coming up. Well, it's Pentecost Sunday. So if you haven't already, check out our merch page. There's some new Pentecost merch. 
Um, I also really recommend, this has nothing to do with anything um, about today, but I really Perfect. recommend a fanny pack. Um, the God's planning fanny packs are selling like hotcakes. So get them. I was going to say before they sell out, it's all print to order. So they're not going to sell out, but you should get one. They're pretty, they're pretty great. I was driving around in DC the other day and noticed there were a lot of fanny packs here. So if you want to be cool, do what all the cool kids are doing, get a fanny pack. They were mostly high-waisted leather fanny packs. And this is a more low-waisted, um, cloth fanny pack but it's still sweet so get a fanny pack and some pentecost merch um also the other and last announcement that i'll make is uh again our retreat in july it's coming up 23rd through the 25th we'd love to have you um it is uh i said the date it's in huntington new york in um, on long island so check out our our website godsplaining.org under the events tab if you're interested register asap spots are filling up um and uh yeah it's also getting close so check that out too I think that's all of them, Father. Wow, excellent job with the announcements, Father Jacob Urchin. You just have such a way with communicating those that uh, that I was I was deeply moved by them. I'm done. Well, with, <laughs> well, with that, let's conclude this Lexio episode with a prayer. Grant, we pray, O Lord, that as promised by your Son, the Holy Spirit may reveal to us more abundantly the hidden mystery of the sacrifice and graciously lead us into all truth. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks to all who support the podcast uh, via Patreon. Uh, We encourage you to like and share this Pentecost episode and all the episodes of the podcast. It's a huge help promoting us um, among your friends, your your words of encouragement um, and support, and your uh, work sharing the podcast are what, what helps us to grow. See, I just got an eye roll from Father Jacob Burchard. He's he, he prefers to do the conclusions. All right. Anyway, a giant thank you. God bless. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.